Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Wake Up Play with Dougie Shaw. I'm your host, Dougie Almeida. It's Tuesday, or what the hell day is it? Wednesday? Oh, it's the middle of August, for God's sakes. And I am in uh, Greenville, South Carolina. Actually, Simpsonville. I don't know what's going on today. I'm just watching the news so much. I don't know if I want to tell the truth or just be bullshit. Um, uh, I'm actually back from South Florida for a week in South Florida, back home in Simpsonville, South Carolina. And we're back. Great show today. Very funny comedian. And he's been on the show many times. And it's easily one of my best favorite guests on the show. And I always, I always do this when I bring, when I bring Mike on, I'm always like, so like, like I'm trying to blow the guy or something, you know, it's like, come on, you know, anyway, let's, uh, without further ado, let's bring, uh, my special guest today, Mr. Mike Kaplan. What's up, buddy. Hey, happy to be back as always happy for you to be as uncomfortably attracted to me being on the show as you wish. <laughs> it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Well, thank Thanks, buddy. And, you know, it's not a physical thing. It's more of a metaphysical thing between us when we talk. You know, I've, I've, I've never, whenever I speak to somebody, I've never had something like your interpretation skills, your ability to just, just decipher without clouding the mind with, with other things and voices that are just trying to throw you off. You know, usually you say something to you and you, you get it. It's not, you know what I mean? Don't you ever, you ever, you ever speak to people where you're like, you try to say something and you're like, you trying to say this. I'm like, I, I, I don't even know where you got that from. Well, that is very kind of you to say, I understand that you do not want to physically blow my body. You do want to blow my mind because of the ways in which I maybe blow your mind. So thank you. It's yeah. a, a pleasure mm -hmm. to be here. Uh, and I, the thing that you said, where you essentially were asking me the question, you said, Mike, it seems like you get it. Have you ever... You ever, you ever talk to people who don't get it? And let me tell you this, Dougie, I get it. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> because, you know, it, it, it seems the ability to communicate nowadays, and we're comics, that's what we do. That we, Our job isn't somehow to, 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 to say some words with efficiency and, you know, and, and paint a picture and, and make oh, the majority of people kind of follow what, we're, what it is we're trying to say. <clears throat> and it just seems... That, you know, you have to like, that's why my comedy lately, I'm more physical. I'm more, you know what I mean? I'll just sit there as a monologist in there. I'm trying to, you know, act it out so people don't get confused, you know, <laughs> for what I'm trying to say. Uh, I appreciate that. I, I don't know that, uh, I think I, I'll say first, I also think that I do move around more on stage than I used to. I absolutely started yeah. out just standing still behind the microphone often wouldn't even take it out of the stand now absolutely love love a big stage love to use the space uh not in any like you know sort of preordained or like predetermined way like i right. haven't really mapped things out you know officially uh but it just i remember i think i i was either at montreal at the just for laughs comedy festival uh or read or saw when Colin Quinn was there at one point and did uh, the a keynote address. And I think he was basically, you know, talking to comedians, talking to younger comedians, talking to, seems like, you know, directly to me from earlier in my career. And probably also, I think he was said to himself earlier, perhaps all of us earlier, when in the beginning, you're just trying to figure out what to say, like just do the, you know, like, for me, it was like math, you know, like this plus this equals a laugh, hopefully. Like, it, like I felt like I was more asking jokes than telling jokes, which yeah. sometimes all you have to do is tell it. And then be, if people are like, well, is this a joke? You're like, oh, yes, this is a joke. But mm -hmm. I remember Colin Quinn gave the advice to, uh, you know, you are on stage. You're not just, you know, a, a floating head. You're not, you, you have a body, you have a physical reality all around you. So why not make use of all the tools that you have at your disposal, which do of course include the mic stand, the mic and the capacity to stand there, but also all kinds of other opportunities as well. Yeah. And you know, I, I learned that lesson, I think years ago watching Rich Voss. Because Rich would be sitting on the stool and he'd tell a joke, people would be laughing. And he would just sit there and like look at the people on this side of the room, right? Ah, laughter. And then as the laughter started to come a little down, he'd go. And he'd look at the other side of the room and then they would start to laugh. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, if, if, you, know, if you have a face like this, 
you know, why not, you know, why not use it, you know, and a body, you know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's been fun. And I, I think that's, you know, somebody recently asked me, like, I'm in my 15th year. So someone recently asked me, like, what are the, some of the things that, that you've learned, you know, like you picked up, you know, yeah, like, uh, you know, don't run the light, all that stuff, everybody knows, but there's certain things you learn. And that's, those are some of the biggest things is to, is to put it all together. You know, it's the, it's the trumpet section, you know, it's the, it's the bass. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're trying to get everything orchestrated into a nice little, uh, melodi- uh melodic, uh, uh, moment. I, You're rubbing off it. on me, Mike. It. I just feel like I just spoke Mike Kaplan. <laughs> I think I just spoke I, Mike Kaplanese. <laughs> really? Uh, you really got me. I really like the idea that, uh, first of all, of the whole body as, you know, an orchestra or whatever, uh, musical, you know, a jazz band, how, however you like your music to come out. But uh, I love that the trumpet section is uh, is right. I don't mean to toot your own horn, but uh, <laughs> you're a great analogy there. Lo- love that your chest is the trumpet. Yeah, I feel like they're trumpets. I mean, you know what I mean? That's the problem. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, but you know, you could be, they could be tubas. They could be, they, there's a lot, there's a lot of possibilities. Could be worse. It could have been worse. You know, I could have, you know, could have said kettle drums, you know. Oh, sure. Um, kettle drum. What a, what a boom, boom, boom. You know, kettle <laughs> drums. You Have you ever played any music, musical instruments? Uh, I have, in fact. Uh, my, my parents, when I was growing up, were both music teachers. And so, and so was my grandfather. And so my, uh, my education included from age four violin lessons and uh almost more in in my home you know i know that a lot of children were sort of made to go to let's say church or synagogue or mosque or temple of whatever kind and for me rally exactly what whatever the family was into uh i don't really believe it but my mom makes me go you know and (laughs) i i what i did go to like to hebrew school and i did get a bar mitzvah but in my family music school was more uh, a necessary uh, obligation uh, in my, right. like I could have chosen to, if I threw a fit and didn't want to go to to Hebrew school, that would have been fine. But I was not allowed to not do music. I had every Saturday, I would go to a school where I would play in an orchestra and take a master class. And there was a quartet that I was in and uh, a theory lessons. It was there all day, mm-hmm. every Saturday for most of my childhood. So I played the violin and I did not like it for many years until I was uh, in high school (laughs) and I started teaching myself guitar and I found myself learning the guitar very easily because of all the past, you know, the past decade of having that instrument forced (laughs) upon me and the theory lessons and everything. Uh, So yeah, I I started uh, teaching myself guitar, playing guitar, writing guitar songs and uh, that's ultimately some of the songs were funny and that's what led me to find a comedy club to perform them at. And that's how I got into comedy. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. The la- I, I used to play guitar and trumpet growing up and I haven't, last time I actually, uh, uh, had a guitar in my hand, I hit somebody with it. Um, but mm. that's another story. Uh, yeah, yeah. There was, there was a, it was a, it was a very discordant sound. Uh, but I, I, I was the, the guitar may have not been tuned. Well, uh, definitely wasn't after the fracas. Um, it's, you know, it's interesting how you learn the theory of it and you learn like, like I played guitar as a young man and then, uh, I played the trumpet, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it just, you know, what else are you going to do? And it was, I, you know, I never was always amazed in school in the band class, the people that would choose to play the oboe, you know, or, the, you know, like these weird, like the trombone, you know what I mean? The trombone is a necessary aspect of a brass section, excuse me, <clears throat> but you know, who, who says, you know, I really want to, you know, Dougie, uh, I'm going to say a couple things to you. They're going to be, uh, truthful and joking in various, uh, okay. capacities. But number one is my mother plays the trombone. How dare you? Uh, that's okay. true. But, uh, also <laughs> your point is taken and without the trombone, we wouldn't have Charlie Brown's parents voices. Those were trombones, exactly. but, uh, also I understand I mean, I think now the oboe sounds really cool, but I understand that at various points in my life and the lives of others, we all have sort of different associations with like what instruments are either cool or which ones are, you know, 
along that spectrum, and here's just a brief story that I hope will be analogous to what we're talking about. But uh, either way, uh, here I go. Um, <laughs> when I when I was a kid, my grandfather, uh, who died when I was around eleven, uh, he had a lot of like he was very high tech for the age. Like he had the first video recorder, like camcorder that I'd ever like experienced, uh, and. He like set up, he like, even before VCRs really were widespread, he was like taping shows and like eliminating the commercials and like splicing them together. And yeah. I remember he sat down with me once and we recorded, uh, we read a book together and recorded it. And the book was a choose your own adventure. You're familiar with choose your own adventures, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And it took place at the circus. And the, it, there was one part of the book that I remember hearing this, like listening back to the tape. And I heard an earlier version of me. I'm like, you know, seven or eight, listening back to when I was five or six. And the question was, do you want to go learn how to be a lion tamer? Or do you want to dress up in uh, an ostrich suit and entertain the crowd like that at the circus? And I remember as I'm listening back to it, I'm like, of course you want to be a lion tamer. The lion tamer, that's the cool thing to do. That's yeah, like the guitar. Laid. That's yeah, yeah, exactly. As a seven-year-old, my priority number one. And well, I had I three older listening. brothers, Mike. So I had three <laughs> older brothers. So that's what I was thinking. Understood. It makes a lot of sense. I was an only child, so I had no no such frame of reference. But I knew <laughs> I thought that that would be cool to be a lion tamer. But then, as the tape, as we listened to the tape, my one or two years younger self had chosen to dress up like an ostrich. So I'm like, even yeah. within one's own lives, our priorities can change a person who might've been like the oboe. Why would I ever want the oboe? And eventually you're yeah. like oboe one Kenobo, you know, and you're like a Jedi of music. Yeah, and then you're writing, exactly, you're being flown across the world so you can record like 15 minutes of music. Uh, I have a good friend, David Zaslov's in that business as well as doing comedy. Uh, you know, well, I guess, I guess the real instrument that would be a question would be like the tuba. You know what I mean? Like I had, a, you know, I had, a, I had to strap my trumpet onto my bicycle when I'd go back and forth to middle school, you know. But if you had a tuba, either you had to have a family member, like you know, the tuba. You have to enroll more members of the family uh, to to de dedicate to the tuba. It's true. The tuba for the lone wolf is a a very a challenging existence. Even also, like you know, the double bass, the cello. There's some some of these instruments that I mean. One of the reasons that I say this jokingly, but also it does work well that uh, I got, I started doing comedy more specifically than musical comedy was I didn't have to bring the guitar everywhere. Even, you know, yeah. the guitar is pretty easy to travel with and yeah. also even easier to travel with is nothing. <laughs> exactly. Between two, I don't, you know, you're exactly right. Cause I sing and I play the guitar and my friends have said, why don't you do parodies? Why don't, you know, you, you write stuff and it's funny and you sing them sometimes. I'm like, but if you had a guitar besides pissing off the act, that's going to follow you. Uh, you know, uh, beside that, I'm like, yeah, but I got to take it everywhere. You know, it's bad enough. I got to bring a merch suitcase everywhere I go, you know? So uh, I'm with you on that, but, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to work harder on my actual act as opposed to relying on some sort of secondary, uh, uh, prop as we'll call it. Uh, well, that's interesting. Always interesting, Mike. And we, we, we open up the story. See, that's what I'm saying. I didn't, none of this is written down in my outline, Ben. None of this, right? This is just coming straight from, you know, from this, just the opening of the conversation. And here we are, uh, about 15 minutes into the show. This is, see, Mike, this is what I'm talking about. You know, I understand. Um, well, let me get to some of the topics here. I thought this was interesting. Uh, and that's what we do on the show. You know, some people say, why do you do news and then have a news story? Because it's my show. I, I'll do whatever I find somewhat interesting. Like I was looking at stuff today. I wasn't going to do anything political with you, Mike. You know, I'm not going to talk about Mar-a-Lago. I'm not going to talk about, you know, the new law that just got passed, electric car, you know, maybe electric cars I would talk to you about. But the thing I, the first thing that hit me um, when I was thinking, what am I going to talk with Mike Kaplan about was this, quote, what is the sluttiest thing a man can do, end quote. And I figured no better person uh, than to ask Mike Kaplan, who on this show has admitted that he's been in open relationships and believes in, you know, free love and all this kind of shit. You know what I mean? Mike would not walk away from an orgy unless they were questionable characters involved, I'd imagine. Uh, a fine point. I, I would say that, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd want to know who was involved, uh, but 
yes, that is absolutely a part of my history. I believe that everyone should, uh, you know, know what, just try to discover what, who you are and what you like and what you're interested in, in your own life and in a partnership or multiple partnerships, should that be what you choose. And so, and there is uh, a great book in the literature of open relationships called The Ethical Slut. So I would say <laughs> that uh, it, in a world in which, you know, uh, a lot of people have sort of a, you know, a, a monogamous centric view, because that's what, uh, has been initially presented by, you know, men, by mainstream society, by fairy tales, by uh, pop culture, by media. In so, I mean, obviously today, so many thousands more of years of tradition. Yeah. But go ahead, yes. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, thousands <laughs> of years of tradition. Look at your original uh, Judeo-Christian uh, situations. They involved like. In fact, Judaism and Islam came from two children oh, yeah. of Abraham by different women. Concubines were normalized. Uh, mm -hmm. It was back in a time when women were property owned by men and men could own many women. So yeah. if you're talking about thousands but, of years of tradition, you're actually talking about a couple decades of tradition. Yeah, like, like as, as we call it, the good old days. Mike, um, you know, <laughs> I, I, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, but they, but back then they didn't have makeup and, you know, so if you had to find, you know, if you had to search the world <laughs> for a concubine, it, it, was, it was probably hard. You, it's, it's like trying to find a hot woman in the middle of Wichita. Um, mm. but this is, you know, I mean, nothing against the women in Wichita, nothing against them. I mean, you know what I mean? I, you know what I'm saying? I mean, Wichita is one of those states. I, I, yeah. I think I understand what you're saying. I don't, I don't actually know that I've ever been. To Wichita, so I have no no specific uh, knowledge, no direct knowledge of the circumstances. You have never been to Wichita, Mike. Ugh. I'm World I'm not sure if I have. I know my uh, my girlfriend's family, my girlfriend's mom and siblings live in Kansas City, Missouri, and I know that uh, I visited them a lot. And so I've been to mm. Kansas City, Kansas as well, and I've been to Lawrence, Kansas, and I've been a few other places, Overland, Kansas, a lot of the Kansas parts that are close to Missouri. Uh, Wichita, so you've been to Kansas? I've absolutely been to Kansas. You, you covered Kansas. Oh yeah, I've covered at least the the eastern uh, sliver of Kansas for sure. Okay. And I think I yeah I think I performed at a college uh, somewhere right in the middle of it at one point. Mm -hmm. uh, and fond memories. Big yeah. big fan. And I bet I bet you can find. And also, I mean, when we're talking about beauty standards, conventional beauty standards, like we all, we all don't find the same exact uh, person or type of person attractive as well. There could be people in, there's probably some wonderful orgies in Wichita happening right now. Yes, I would imagine, um, you know, but that's what I'm saying. Everybody's at a certain level, you know, uh, and that's a, you know, that's not a, that's, that's an orgy that hopefully nobody has a camera. Uh, but you know, here's some things. The Twitter uh, Twitter is joking about what is the sluttiest thing a man can do when people were like, sure. you know, leave it open. Uh, some of the comments, uh, the sluttiest thing a man could do is have a big nose. I mean, you know, I guess I'm not he, sure I, I understand that, that one. Yeah. Well, I'm guessing he has a big nose. Uh, I would hope. Um, the sluttiest thing a man could do is is uh, uh, the the first the. the Sluttiest thing a man could do is be sweet and put in effort. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's such an it's an interesting thing because I I only saw this uh, this sort of trending topic when you shared it with me in the show outline. I always appreciate how organized you are here on the show, and I appreciate your willingness to allow me to uh, let, let, let's say transcend the outline at times uh, <laughs> to. Uh, put a little chaos in with the order. Uh, but it, it does seem like most of those examples that I looked at, they are from like the, the sex positive definition of, uh, of sluttiness. And I mean, I feel like even it sort of transcended sluttiness itself in that most of the examples given were like, I mean, if they, the question is, what is it that a man can do that, uh, that, oh, in which he engages with sleeping with as many people as he wishes. I guess one here's here's my answer. I've I've determined it. Uh, yes. I think the program was running underneath the whole time. Probably yep. the sluttiest thing that a man can do is be gay. Well, yeah, I, th I think so because that's really thinking of yourself. It really is 
truly thinking of yourself and and think and just on the on the basic level of uh you know there's many different individuals to which like this generalization will not apply and there are many sociological reasons for why but in general uh gay men uh historically have had more sex uh like per per gay man than like almost any other group of gender uh and sexuality uh I was going to say combined, but that won't really make sense. But because men, I, I listen to Dan Savage's podcast a lot. I probably brought it up on your podcast. Dan will sometimes say that straight men would have as much sex as gay men would, uh, but they can't because straight women won't. And there are many reasons for why that. But when it right. is man and man, when you're a man looking for men to have sex with, there's a lot of men there's that will want to have yeah. sex, a lot of men who yeah. will want to be <laughs> slutty with you. And as such, I think the sluttiest thing a man can do, if you want to be a slutty man, be at least yeah. gay, bi, pan, uh, or flexible. Yeah, I think Mike said it best. So, you know, if you're going to be slutty, you have to really go, go all out. And uh, and you're right. It's, you know, you, you're right. Because scientifically, a heterosexual, a man and a woman, you know, how much sex is are you having if you're that? Well, you really have to find a partner who's willing, like you're saying. And, and a lot of times women, A, are judging you, number one, you know, <laughs> if they're going to have sex. Two, if they want to have sex. B, if they want to get all this shit's going on. You know, uh, if two women want to have sex, they're one of those, if not both, are dealing with the same issues. So, you know, maybe they're going to be a little more particular about who they have sex with because a lot more emotion. But when it comes to two guys, fuck away. And, you know, it's like, you know, you could, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I think the last time I was in a gay bar, which was two days ago, I, no, I, kid, I was in, uh, I was in Wilton Manors and we did a show there. And after the show, the room was not, was, sexually nothing like not like any club you've ever been in like everybody's mounted on somebody everybody's making out everybody's dry humping i'm like oh my god i gotta get out of here uh before i partake so if <laughs> i get caught up in the action you know uh but you're right i think you're right it's uh that is a great call and uh, i think we nailed it because some of these other ones are um uh no no actually the sluttiest thing a man could do is be a barista yeah mm. I think Mike, yours is definitely overweighting that one. Uh, the sluttiest thing a man could do is make may his soul air and immediately die from heart disease. Well, mm. she's being, you know, she's being selfish. The sluttiest thing a man could do is uh, is uh, be four men from New Jersey. Okay. Mm. See, you know, so we got it best here. So the sluttiest thing a man can do is be gay. That's it. And, and ladies, uh, don't keep pushing us to that. Just saying. I mean, ladies, do whatever you like. But uh, yes. it seems like I mean, who am know, I? To... I mean, yeah, Dougie, you're you're just a guy who's nervous to be at an all male orgy because you might, if you stay too long, participate. Well, yeah, you know what I mean. Because sometimes I'm not, I'm not, I'm a, I'm a guy who I'm not a, I'm not a watcher. I'm a participant. You don't like, I, don't, I get involved. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. I'm not going to sit by and like you know, you got to either either be, take you... part or get the hell out some hors d'oeuvres some finger foods you're like well it would be you know it would be kind of a uh a rude thing to the host to just uh com- continually turn things down so yeah yes, absolutely. yeah well i gotta tell you if there was food there it would have probably stayed a bit longer <laughs> um, yeah i'll be honest with you um all right i came across this story uh again the same thing you know mike kaplan's here today uh why do so many comedians lives end in tragedy you know, a lot of people ask that, you know, the, um, you know, so, so many people have committed suicide, not even part of this article, but like, uh, Richard Jenny, um, you know, uh, Robin Williams. Um, oh yeah. Also, would you, would you put up that photo one more time? Is that possible? Uh, I just want to, so we've got, of course, Richard Pry. I love, I love this Mount Rushmore of comedians <laughs> lives ending in tragedy just for, if you're only listening and not looking, we've got. Richard Pryor, absolutely. Uh, Chris yeah. Farley, maybe the classic comedian ending in tragedy life. Dustin Diamond, uh, the artist formerly known as Screech. And yes. Roseanne, who is not yet dead, but her life uh, has been assessed to by this photo array. It yeah. has ended in, tra- her life is ending in tragedy as we speak. Uh, I mean, the question 
uh, is raised in a, as a headline and sort of you know a uh, a titillating way as headlines often are like where the issue of like mental health in comedy and life also beyond comedy like it's a it's a good it's a good question i actually don't know numbers wise if do com do comedians deal with depression and anxiety on a higher at a higher rate than the rest mm -hmm. of the population or is it more the idea that comedians themselves are more likely to if suffering from those things be talking about them because that is the job that is the the task the path of a comedian is to talk about what the comedian is experiencing which often i mean there's so many wonderful comedians like Maria Bamford and Aparna Nanchurla uh, who talk about their struggles with mental health with mental illness and in some ways i think might even thus be healthier than people who are experiencing the same things and are not talking about them so like i mean there's many variables here and i think another element is of course that when there is like when a life ends in tragedy when you know if there's a drunk driving accident a sam kinnison kind of situation or a chris mm. farley or a richard jenny of course like these are these are things that like stick out they leap out they spike up in our experience and also look at all the comedians that have ever been look at the ones that did if they you know yeah. make it to 90 like you know i think don rickles just died at 90. you know jerry lewis lived a long time phyllis diller was an old woman yeah. like betty white not a stand-up but you know a yeah. comedy related person and plus look at all the comedians that are still alive still living still working yeah. still thriving but like numerically uh i think there are more comedians alive than dead yeah i think i agree with you on that stat uh, uh i don't we i don't think we have to you know <laughs> quantify it or approve it but I, oh, no. I agree with that and and if, and if you're right if you look at it i guess as a as a percentage of the populace i guess dentistry probably still has the highest suicide rate right in comparison so, if we compare the profession the psychology field is also particularly oh, yeah. fraught like if we <laughs> if we look at these numbers you know there's like of course, like uh, the world is a challenging place to be alive in and a part of. And uh, I mean, it's good, actually, at least. I mean, psychology is a relatively, you know, newer field, a newer science, at least in its more modern forms. Some say that the Buddha was actually one of the first uh, psychotherapy practitioners, you know, a couple thousand years ago. And that Buddhism mm -hmm. itself is sort of like, a self-diagnosis process of you know using one's mind to look into one's mind but uh, it's nice that there are more tools today that people have available like talk therapy like cognitive behavioral therapy but yeah definitely uh there are some people you know your your greg giraldo's your uh and and such who are yeah you know, there is, I guess the, the question, if you're asking the question, why do so many comedians' lives end in tragedy? Uh, I mean, the main answer, the short answer that I almost never give is, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> it does seem like, you know, that we are all, we're all, we're all doing our best, you know, with the, the yeah. tools we've been given and, uh, and we're, we're, we're working on it. Yeah. Um... I, I think you're, I think you nailed it with the number thing. I think it's no more than, I think there's other professions that are on the number, why are so number, um, as opposed to why, you know, and when I think of the why, you know, I, I look at that, why is it happening? Whether the number is astronomical or is just the fact that it's happening, you know, and I, I relate to that as a comic because, you know, I really, you know, the theory of Pandora's box, you know, I, I, you know, I have a lot of life experiences in this because I've always been the kind of person who wanted to go do try something as much as I could. You know, if I played sports, I tried to be the best at it. I, martial art, you know what I mean? So I always try to get it, you know, so that, like in sex, you know, it's like, so the first time you're in a threesome, you know, wow, you know, you, of course you come in 30 seconds, you spoil the, the date, but that's the first time. Of and then course. you get used, yeah. yeah, then you get used to it. And, you know, and after a few years of that, and you have that kind of lifestyle and blah, 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 and you, you do this and there's more crazy, crazy. Where do you go from there? It's the it's the, the idea of Pandora's box is you get to experience all these great pleasures and like as a comic there's no better high to me than watching hundreds of people smiling and or laughing their asses off to the things you're saying right I mean that's why we do it Mike I mean when you think about it that's the drug I mean you know when you're up there and you, even when you make up something and it you know on, on the spot you improv and boom people start dying laughing you know you couldn't inject enough heroin into your body to be the same am I right 
Uh, well, I've never injected any heroin into my body. So on that particular, I, I, I take your point in spirit, absolutely. I mean, to me also, I, the audience reaction is absolutely uh, one enjoyable aspect of the, the comedic experience. But I feel like it's also like, to me, my output, my input, my in and output is also equally, if not more relevant, like that I get to, you know, plan something and or unplan something, to think of something either in advance or on the spot, to be the one, you know, who is talking then or like right now, for example. And I feel like it's it's almost like, you know, what do you like better? Like getting to say the thing or getting to hear the audience laugh at the thing. There's sort of like two sides of the same coin, the yin and the yang, and be like, what do you like better? Like inhaling or exhaling? Like, oh man, I love I love a good inhale because it lets me exhale as much as I want while I'm talking. But then man, mm -hmm. after I get to the end of a big exhale where I'm talking as much as I am right now, oh boy, that's yeah, good. I, I yeah, really like yeah. I like the in and out, the back and forth. Yeah, I, I like both. It was especially when it when uh, the yin yang principle definitely comes into play when it comes to breathing in and breathing out. Because if it wasn't for that, it would there would be no theory um, on it. But you're right. Um, yeah, I, you know, I just that's the thing. People always ask me. I think it's that you know we you go from these high emotions, and it's a crazy business. You know, everybody. I was having a conversation with a comic who's recently making it big, and uh, he was explaining to me like friends think, oh, you must be this, you must be that. I'm like, he's like, no, man, the, the the bar just got raised. I gotta I gotta scramble harder. I gotta work harder. I gotta, you know, I gotta even be more creative. You know. It's like a music, like a band. We go back to music, but it's like a band that puts out a great album. Well, what's the next album? You know, what's the next? You know, what, what kind of what kind of product are you putting out? It's that's why I think that rat race sometimes appeals to that, and we go crazy. Uh, Mike, are sure. you concerned? Are you concerned that there's eighty seven thousand new IRS agents uh, being uh, put in the system? Uh, I guess the question I didn't know that there were this many IRS agents. Uh, being put in the system, but I'll tell you why I am happy about it. Number one is that I pay my taxes. And in fact, this year, I have paid more than I needed to and am waiting for a refund. And mm. if there's more, more people working at the IRS might mean that I get my refund faster than if there are fewer people working at the IRS. So I hope that the majority of those 80, 87,000 are there to verify that my uh, my documentation is accurate and that I should yeah. get back the money that I and my accountant have uh, determined that I would. Uh, additionally, my understanding is that uh, of all most of the audits that are done are done on people with lower amounts of money, in part because people who have massive amounts of money are able to afford uh, lawyers and business managers and like, mm -hmm. and to legally, you know, work the system and find these loopholes to the point that if they like, the IRS does not have the person power in order, the manpower, the woman power, they, they don't have the the workers and the skills necessary to do their job efficiently and appropriately to like surely there we can agree that the the more money you have the more capacity you have to figure out ways to hold on to your money more to hide it legally in places or to mm. whatever it is uh and that there are certainly let's even let's say that they're spread evenly throughout all of let spread throughout the different classes, spread throughout the different people who have different amounts of money, like people who are liars or more likely to try and hide uh, their wrongdoings compared to like, you know, open-minded, open, just completely thorough, uh, like I am, like open book people. There are, it would be more useful to be able to audit the uh, the people at the higher levels because utilitarian wise will be able to then if there's somebody stealing you know billions of dollars compared to somebody stealing thousands of dollars mm -hmm. uh so i hope that these uh irs agents are all being hired and trained to go after the people who have way more money than mm -hmm. i though perhaps i am a glass half full kind of guy well uh, unfortunately uh this is one of those moments where i'm honored to say that mike you don't know what you don't know and 
Um, Absolutely, no, I don't. And, 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 and here's what's going to happen. Uh, the billionaires, like you're saying, and you, you made this point, a lot of these people that have a lot of money also have the uh, not just a person from uh, H&R Block. They actually have a JD, a Juris Doctorate, who is a person who has a law degree in, in, in tax planning and tax advice. So th they take care of everything. The corporation, everything's set up. It's a machine. It's like, and the IRS doesn't want to spend millions of not billions fighting legally over such dis uh, discrepancies, if we'd put it. So the bulk of the people that are going to be hit by these 87,000 new agents, but by the way, by perspective, there's about 70,000 currently working at the IRS. So it's more than doubling the actual size. Uh, also, these people are being armed and being buying ammunition. Many aspects of the government are also lining up bullets and ammo, you know, from all these different departments. The IRS agent needs guns and that's where they be armed. Uh, so they're going to go after small business owners, people that have corporations, a com comedian like me, I have a corporation, you know, we, I bring in revenue as a corporation. So there's deductions and they're going to, no, oh, we're going to come and waste your time because you're not going to spend a thousand dollars to hire an attorney to fight it. You can fuck, I got to pay it. Or I got I to pull every receipt out of my ass and okay, good. You know, make sure you eat all that shit. So yeah, that's going to be the actual target. <clears throat> so, uh, beware everybody be prepared. And, um, you know, like Mike said, in all honesty, as a licensed fiduciary, as long as you're doing it, you're up and up, you know, <laughs> you know, you can't be writing off shit. You don't have, you know, that just causes all the problems. Uh, did you know? Uh, also, uh, just a quick, quick thing. I know you said you don't want to get too political today, but I did just because I hadn't heard this story, just did a brief Googling of IRS guns and found on PolitiFact. Apparently it was Matt Gates who said on Tucker Carlson that the government is arming the IRS because Joe Biden is raising taxes and disarming Americans. And this article just makes the point that Biden is not arming up the IRS with guns and ammunition. So uh, no, they, I just the, wanted the to- precedent, the, precedent on that, the precedent on that argument is, is not arming, they are armed. In other words, even in the job descriptions of the new employees, well, you, you'll be armed, you'll be you know, expected to inflict and have the uh, go after people who are wrongdoing. So it's interesting. And it's, uh, my understanding, it seems to be that the IRS does purchase guns and ammunition for special agents in its criminal investigation division, which is a, a law enforcement branch. Right. With well, the criminals, usually when they the people they find out, or maybe that's when they, it starts with the audit, and then they go after the criminal. So oh, either way, if you're the typical IRS auditor that Americans would encounter in a routine audit are unarmed. So yeah, I don't are, think yeah. people have to worry about it. Yeah, because that's the that's the that's the nose. That's the sniffer. The sniffer comes, they do the audit, they sniff, and then if there's something wrong, that's when the next escalation goes into. And that's that's the new, the, the escalation is the main word. Uh, well, it actually of says escalation. the IRS, uh, uh, one, one more de-escalation. Apparently the IRS did spend about $725,000 on ammunition this year, but that is not unusual and actually is a bit less than what was spent in other recent years. And this is not new or unique to the Biden administration. They've been made yeah. for an IRS division that's been armed for more than a century. Well, even as a, as something I even said about the, uh, the last, the last Bush, uh, when they were talking about trying to raise taxes, what they, what Bush did was actually increase the size of the IRS. So increasing the size of the agency is not necessarily a bad thing, uh, to, to, to talk about what are, how much ammo is purchased on something that's really not using that much ammo is like, you know, statistically very statistically variant. If I choose the date and I pick the year, it's, it's just an ebb and flow kind of number anyway. So it's not the point. What's not been taken into place is what the guns and ammo are being purchased for the 87,000 people yet. That number has not yet been determined. <clears throat> but with, when you double your size, you will increase. That increase may not mean anything, but the important thing is there'll be a lot more armed people to enforce the rules of the IRS and collect. Um, all right, so Salomon Rushdie, you know, he's a writer. You know, when we, we have freedom of speech, I think an aspect of that is a very important story to me. But um, he got attacked in New York, in your hometown. They they finally caught up and poor guy's not doing well. Uh, I mean, this guy was, uh, I mean, can you imagine telling a joke and then having the Ayatollah of Iran after you, Mike Kaplan, because you told a joke about a world leader? You know, I mean, would you? Uh, oh, yeah, I, I would not want that to happen. I, I don't want anyone to be attacked physically. It's nuts, you know. Um, this guy, I mean, it was years ago that they had that the, um, the Satanic Verses uh, book came out, and they were supposedly after me. Like, ah, they're not. The Iranians aren't very good at chasing down people. 
And then after we, uh, you know, droned the, the general over there, and uh, now they've been threatening Mike Pompeo, John Bolton, and even supposedly Trump. So, uh, you know, oh, yeah. we'll see I'm, what happens. I'm anti, anti-death threats, anti-violence, anti-people attacking people, regardless of what they're saying. I, I absolutely am for people saying what they believe and what they want, and if other people disagree, to use words as well. Also, I don't know if you said it was in New York City. It was New York State where it happened. Not It was oh, actually yeah. pretty, like, maybe six, seven hours from where I live. You're right. So Closer I, I to Ohio, that. in fact. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, when you think about it. Uh, it's amazing when people go to different parts of New York, they don't realize. Uh, well, it's like Florida, right? Florida, you could be in the Keys. You could be in, you know, in, in Tallahassee. I mean, oh, yeah. any, any number of uh, different places. All right. All right. So let's lighten things up here before we uh, go much further. A couple things. First of all, of course. have you ever seen a bear high hopped up on like, like this, this uh, is just, funny. Just I'm... in the video that you sent me earlier, I, uh, I'm very happy to <laughs> see animals getting into psychedelics. <laughs> look at him. The f- I mean, look at him there. It looks like a fake bear. I mean, he looks like he's a, look at him. I'm fucked up, man. <laughs> oh Yeah. Ah, oh, the poor guy. Look at him. Yeah, I hope I hope he's doing okay. So fucking crazy, you know. I mean, I, I mean, you look at those. It, you, you think about animal and animals and humans. I mean, we all act the same when we're all messed up on that kind of shit. I mean, we he should, looked like I a mean, few of my. We are animals. Absolutely. He looked like a few of my friends, like after in, in college, who got really wasted in the back seat. I mean, there was they looked like hey, that was my friend George. Um, that's very funny. And, uh, and before we close to the, it's uh, time for the news. Uh, one last thing have, I've never, I always love when I see something, oh, I never knew that, you know, I don't know. I believe in the philosophy. I don't know what I don't know. Yeah. That's what made Socrates the smartest person on earth because he claimed to not know anything. He's like, I don't know shit. And, uh, so I love that philosophy of, I don't know what I don't know, but, uh, here's, did you know, uh, what a knocker upper was? I had heard about this uh, earlier this year. Uh, so I only, I went 40 something years without knowing what a knocker upper was. But uh, my understanding is that they were uh, previously, they're, they're basically like the the people whose job was stolen by the alarm clock. <laughs> yeah. You know, the knocker uppers were the uh, the uh, the original uh, toll, toll gate placer, uh, collectors, right? Toll gatherers, uh, VCR repairmen, as we'd say, those who have fallen by technology. These are people in the early what is it, the early times of England, you know, before the alarm clocks, going to these industrial towns where everybody had to get up. Everybody worked at the same plant. Everybody worked. <laughs> this guy would walk with a stick or some sort of peas and sh- throwing rocks and shit. Wake up, fuckers! You know, you can't go work, fucker. You know, come on, you wankers, get up. I think it's something like that. Probably, I maybe I don't know. I'm, you know, it's a good bored. impression. Yeah, you know, I could have been. I, you know, I mean, you're... if I wasn't looking right at you, I don't know that I would have. I would have thought I was transported back into jolly old England. Come on, Michael, get out of your good? bed, Michael. It's time to come and <laughs> take the sheets, Michael. Get out of there. Stop writing that book. Stop. Stop playing the fucking violin. Nobody likes the violin, oh, yeah. Michael. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm sorry. I didn't realize I had to get to work. <laughs> But that's what they did. They went up and woke up everybody in the knocker-uppers. So um, there you go. All right. Uh, without further ado, it's uh, time for the news is a joke. This is where we uh, take headlines and try to extrapolate as much funny out of it as we can. Um, you know, this story is just great because of it. And, you know, again, I, I, when I think of Mike Kaplan, I think of funny, you know, well-thought, well-written, uh, you know, and, and, and a sexual guy. You know, you're a sexual guy. You, you know, you're expressively. I mean, you're just like you said, whatever you know, freaky deaky, you know, whatever. And, uh, but the, uh, the Royal rumor might be inspiring straight men to get pegged. And that's beautiful. Uh, there's a Royal rumor spreading around England about a particular, uh, Royal who likes to be pegged. Now, Michael, maybe, maybe some of our watchers, listeners don't know what pegging or being pegged is, but I think you can apply a proper definition. Happy to, happy to provide. Uh, in fact, I previously already brought up Dan Savage of the Savage Love cast and the column Savage Love, the sex relationship and otherwise advice column. Dan Savage uh, was the person who in his column, uh, along with his fans, coined the term pegging, which initially 
was a reference to uh, an act in which usually a heterosexual woman would have uh, anal sex with a strap-on, uh, and the recipient was a heterosexual man. So mm -hmm. it's, gen I mean, these days, of course, people of all genders and orientations can uh, engage in whatever sexual acts they wish, including pegging. Uh, but yeah, I think it's it's become more and more mainstream. It was obviously referenced on, uh, I saw it on Broad City and uh, sort of in other pop culture, clearly now in yeah. in some mainstream news sources. So I think that for the people who are being inspired by it, uh, for people, I feel like there's probably people who haven't heard of the thing, haven't heard of the, haven't heard the word, haven't heard of the concept. And if it's something that they're like, well, now that I know that this is a thing with a name that can be done, uh, <laughs> and if you're, it's the kind of thing that you might be like, well, uh, I, like I don't think anyone is uh, being pressured into it. I think if people are, yeah. people are discovering things about themselves, and that is beautiful. I agree with you. I I don't think there's a man on earth, whether he's heterosexual or gay or whatever, hasn't thought about shoving something up his ass. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that do weird things with Coke bottles and these frozen eels and all kinds of things like that. And as we said in the previous show, as a man, if you are going to shove something up your ass and you're by yourself, put a string on it. You know, have like, don't, because, you know, you want to be able to, you know, there has to be an exit strategy, um, you know, let's say the least. But um, yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, I mean, th this is the, you know, the pegging, you know, the thing about pegging, it's like, you know, it's not an attract, like it. Okay. So people have that thought and they think, but the word, I mean, if the guy co coined the phrase, I mean, pegging is like, oh, you know, it almost like, you know, it, it doesn't sound comfortable. You know what I mean? Pe being pegged. Oh, I mean, I'd imagine sure. it does. It's not punk. I don't think it is comfortable from what, what it turns out to be. I don't think it's very comfortable. If well, you're like, I mean, I think, yeah, I don't know if comfort is the, uh, is the specific goal of the act, but I would say that the name to me evokes more of, you know, the idea of like a square peg in a square hole, a round peg in a round hole, a peg mm. goes in a hole. So to put a peg in a hole is pegging. And, uh, yeah, I think, I'll also add on top of the, or maybe instead of the, in addition to the the string theory that you're yes. presenting, string theory, very, <laughs> very complex, of course. Uh, a lot of butt plugs do come with a, a belled end, you know, kind of like bell bottoms, like yeah. a, so that's something that will absolutely prevent it from getting lost. So whenever yeah. you're showing up with for pegging, just be there with bells on. That's what I'm saying. Yes, I have the bell and, uh, you know, don't, don't do it with an amateur. Like, don't, don't, don't have... The person pegging and the person being pegged be the first time any of you've dealt with pegging, right? Somebody in the oh, room yeah. has or to be least, a professional. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can't have two amateurs, you know, trying it. I, you know. I, I understand what you're saying. And I think, I think that if you do have two people who have not experienced this before, like definitely uh, it's possible. I'd say that if that's the case, to be honest about your experience level and then do as much research and just you know move slow i feel like like slow and yeah. steady uh anyway, is the when most it comes to that yeah when yeah. it comes to that usually in a lot of ways despacio. yeah in spanish it's called despacio you know take your time ah, don't be a fucking hero i like it um you know it, it, exactly um boy there was something else i was going to add to that but it's too late i forgot my, my my mind is erased um all right well this being said uh, this may just be in england but our next story um a lot of ass, lot of ass play going on in today's show. Um, oh, sure. Uh, rise in popularity of anal sex has led to health problems for women. He kept asking me to have me put it in my bum. <laughs> I want to put it in my well, bum. Well, I, I think I feel like there's a a, a pretty simple number one. First, uh, anyone like make sure that you take care of your your physical, medical well being and health needs. And hopefully, I think in the article that you shared, it said that sometimes, like, because of perhaps the shame or the stigma associated with, you know, sort of just a sex negative culture that exists probably in England, maybe not the same way it does in America. But there are, you know, sometimes people are afraid to talk to their doctor uh, some, about sexual things. Sometimes there are doctors that might be uh, on the shaming end of the spectrum when it comes to these things. So you want to have uh, a, a doctor that you can trust when you have a medical issue, even one that might feel embarrassing. 
Uh, and this is more TED Talk than joke segment. But I will say this, that here is my sincere and joking offering for uh, if it seems that, like, because this article is saying that it seems that women are the ones who are having uh, an elevated level of uh, health challenges pertaining to this. So, uh, so I'm imagining it's heterosexual women partnered with uh, heterosexual men, perhaps, uh, perhaps, uh, I mean, that's the by and, by and large, uh, so to speak, uh, most of the population, as far as we know, is heterosexual. And this will be speaking to that community specifically and from among it. I'm one of you. Uh, women, heterosexual women, I would offer that if your, uh, if your male partner wants to have anal sex with you on the receiving end, why not? Look, we're in the 21st century, the world of egalitarianism. Why not have uh, an equilibrium in which uh, you you can make it uh, a necessary ingredient to yeah make it so that look he has to at least experience something like what he's yeah. asking you to experience to yeah. understand and then uh, I think that would be potentially healthier for everyone. I think that's a great idea, Mike. You scratch my back and I peg you. I mean that's just the way it goes. exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah there'll be a lot more there'll be a lot more love in the world. Um, you know to say so and. Uh, you know, you're right. It's good I mean, to be able to, yeah, experience, to imagine what someone else is experiencing, or even if you go beyond imagining it, experience what someone else is experiencing, but at least start with imagining it. Yeah, because, you know, the idea is, you know, if, you know, everybody kept saying, follow the science. You know, we lived in a pandemic area where everybody's follow the science. Well, when it comes to ass play, you got to follow the science. And what this article is t telling us is that the man has a much better ability of taking it in the ass like in other words they have they have they have the they have a, a stronger rectum area and all kinds of things they were they were into it you got to read the article but basically they're they are more less susceptible to the complications so therefore the man is the one who should be taking it as they'd say in the ass um because well, I, I like i like where you've come to because the man is strong the man should be on the receiving end of yeah. the challenging pounding that's right. Yeah. You, you like you. You said it best that the woman's got to do it. You know, like, hey, listen, if we got divorced. You get a half my shit. So if this is what we're going to do, then you got to, you know. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean, if feminism tells us that a woman can do anything that a man can do, and the anti-feminist man is like, well, then a man should be able to do anything that a man should be able to experience anything that a woman experiences. And so, you know, put your money where your butt is. That's right. Exactly. Uh, that's no better way to leave that one. TikTokers are using vaping, uh, wearing their vaginal juices as perfume to activate their natural attraction. Scientists say that uh, this makes no sense. Um, you ever walked up to a woman and go, oh, my God, she smells like crotch. I'm going to go. I got to talk to her. Uh, yeah, this article, I had never heard of. I'd never heard this word before. Now I uh I can't unknow it. Uh, I here's the thing: my girlfriend is very big in the fragrance world. In the fragrance community, she loves. Uh, she collects many uh, perfumes, colognes, uh, other uh, you know fragrant items, and she's educated me a lot about it. And mm -hmm. so, when I first read the the headline, I was like, "Have you heard of this?" And she said, "Yes." And I said, "Why didn't you tell me?" And she said, "I I wanted to protect you from it." And so <laughs> now here I am. I have all the information. I feel like the most telling part of that article, though, uh, for the scientist who said uh, there's no evidence that this would be something that should be you know should be attractive to people it's not something that has been scientifically confirmed however they did say and my girlfriend also raised this point without reading the article the the placebo effect is very powerful so if mm -hmm. if a person dabs themselves with whatever regardless of whether it will have an empirical effect on another being if you're confident because you're doing it you, Oh yeah, they should try. My girlfriend off to the side says they should try perfume. Uh, if, if, go, if you just think go that to the your perfume counter. Will do it. Yeah, yeah. Try, why not try something that's formulated to officially, historically, uh, smell good? But uh, but yes, the placebo effect is very powerful. So if somebody feels confident uh, because they dab their own juices on themselves, it might in fact seem to have the scientific effect that 
does not specifically exist other than uh, placebo-wise. Well, I, I agree on the placebo aspect because basically it's a recognizable thing. You know, it's the scent brings you to the moment and makes you think of that. You know what I mean? But the problem is not all these scents of the moment are attractive. Like, you know, it, so you, like you said, it has to do with the confidence. So, you know, I mean, listen, let's, you, I'm, I'm glad you, I mean, listen, not all, not all women are made alike, just like not all men are made alike. And, you know, some, some women, when, when, you know, when the oven's open, I just want to use oven, what I'm trying to say, when the bouquet is shared, you know, when they, sometimes it's not always flowers. You know, sometimes, you know, listen, I've walked away from some that have been, so you, you want to be like, you want to have confidence. If you're going to swab that, you know, you're going to reach down and swab that and put it around your neck. You better make sure, put somebody in a Pavlovian moment where they're either going to drool or, or run away. Uh, I agree 100% uh, uh, to that. Um, yeah, I agree. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, um, look at that. I, I, We're in the section yeah. where we agree and I always love it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, you know, vaping, like, you know, you have to, you have to be confident in what you're doing. You know, you have to be confident in what you're doing and uh, you're right. Why go through all the problem when you could just go to the, 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 uh, the perfume counter at the mall, you know, and just get your, just, just get some Av Am uh, Avon, you know, just get, you know, <laughs> I mean, do you have a particular cologne you wear, Mike, when you want to smell good, you don't rub your ball sweat on your neck. Do you? I mean, you don't want to play, you don't want to do that type of thing. That's a, a great question. The answer, of course, yes, uh, you are right. I do not do that. Uh, I do have, so I, before I met my girlfriend, I did not ever wear cologne. Uh, and these days I don't wear it all the time, but she has from her collection, which includes, you know, there are certainly some colognes and some perfumes that are seemingly presented as for one or another gender. But in fact, you know, like, over over historical you know uh shifts it is like the things that once were masculine might be thought of as feminine now and vice versa but uh so she has some some scents that uh were meant for men theoretically that she likes for herself but then she has some that she's like i think this one would be good on you there's one that i like in particular called burning barbershop uh hmm. and there's i forget what the it's by who is it DS and Durka. And uh, so that's that's the one that I resonate with the most. I really like smokiness, a smoky smell, a smoky flavor. Oh, wow. Like I like a, a barbecue chip, you know, I like a barbecue yeah. tofu. I, barbecue. I like I like a barbecue perfume. So it's like it really does sort of smell like a barbershop is on fire. Burning barbershop by DS and Durka. Well, uh, what was the name of it again? Burning Barbershop. Burning Barbershop. Wow, it sounds like a rap album. <laughs> Absolutely. Ah, uh, here, we've got uh, a visual aid for us. This is the bottle right oh, that's there. Cool. And that's a woman's perfume. The new bottles look different, apparently, but uh, this one a, is beautiful. It's a unisex? It smells great. It's a unisex uh, perfume think, or cologne? Is it unisex or is it meant for men, theoretically? I mean, just you, anyone can use unisex, it. Keep wearing it. She's just gonna tell it you. It is a little more, yeah, a little more masculine. She says, "Yeah, like a oh, barber yeah, shop. You know, it's not a, it's not a, a salon. It's not the yeah. beauty parlor, which is what my mom and grandmother yeah. would say they I, would go to." I'll, I'll be one hundred percent honest to you. One time I was in, we were at the uh, uh, Epcot, you know, uh, food and wine festival, and we were in Italy, and I bought a bottle of uh, Salvatore Ferragamo, which I sprayed it when I was there, and I'm like, oh, it smells great. I bought it, and I was wearing it for a few weeks. Until my wife realized and found out that it's a woman's perfume. So, I mean, truly, the fact that you enjoyed it, like, there is nothing inherently or innately one gender or the or another about, uh, about a scent. So, yeah. Uh, he, what was it? Ferragamo, you say? Yes. Salvatore Ferragamo. You know, oddly Salvatore enough, I mean, Ferragamo. Yeah. And I My girlfriend said that's a I, brand know. that they make a bunch, but understood the one that he had was apparently a woman's scent that, yeah. 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 And I, listen, I thought it was great. And I mean, that was the, oddly enough, that was the first time I was ever pegged by another guy, but that's a different story. Ah. Um, well, at any rate, trying to If I may back. Br briefly, uh, oh yeah, that was very good. I like it. I'm sorry to uh, steamroll and interrupt, but I just... <laughs> You've, you just reminded me of an experience I had with my dad when I was a child. I've thought about a lot recently, actually, that 
when I was in like maybe second, third grade, uh, MC Hammer came out with You Can't Touch This. And I mm -hmm. loved it. And I've since then, as an adult, as a later and older child, like I was big into hip hop, love hip hop, love rhyming, love like the, the beauty, like it's like they're, they're poets, you know, right. amazing hip hop is fantastic. But when I, when that song came out, I liked it. And I told my dad and I said, I really like this song. And he said, no, you don't. And I was like, oh, I guess I don't. I didn't realize, I mean, because yeah. he didn't, because it wasn't his thing. And he saw me as, you know, at the time, you know, a little him or an extension of him. So it made yeah. sense that he's like, this is the way that I feel. So it's hard to imagine how you feel. And so I feel like you should go get that perfume again. Get get back to Epcot, get that perfume yeah. and wear it as much as you want. Oh my God, you're right. I think, I, I think I'm gonna, <laughs> I think I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna get that and wear it and have to turn on all those guys. God, guys, I'm heterosexual. I just like the cologne. It's perfume. Um, it could be. There you go. You're right. I think you're right. Um, go, go with my the original instinct, Mike. You know what I mean? Um, oh, yeah. Next story. Lancaster thief who scooped coins from a monkey enclosure pond, uh, now at risk of having herpes. <laughs> and I looked this up. I, I hadn't heard about this, that there is a, this particular herpes is not deadly to the monkeys but it is deadly potentially to humans. Whereas of course the herpes that humans uh, standardly get that, you know, one yeah. out of five, I think one out of four or five have, which is not fatal, not lethal. It's fascinating yeah. to know that there is a monkey herpes, which, so be careful when you get water out of a monkey's butt place, I guess. Yeah, uh, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, herpes. I hope I don't catch that again. Um, you're right. It, it, here's, it, it, I want to know, I looked at the article and it didn't say, I don't know if it said how much money he, uh, stole. I guess they didn't know because nobody had an accounting aspect of money that was thrown into the well, but you know, he, he got away. You're, I was just, you know, wondering now this person's sitting there and, they, and they, they don't know who he is. They don't know who the person is. And I say he, it could be, it could be a, a them. Um, so, uh, they are standing around going, looking for like postulates and, in, in all kinds of nonsense, you know, but at least, Hey, at least they got, at least I got about 98 cents or a uh, hundred oh, yeah. well, pounds of euros. The good news for the rest of us, apparently only I'm looking at the CDC's website uh, for herpes B virus. Only one case yes. has been documented of an infected person spreading this virus to another. It's usually that you get bitten or scratched by an infected macaque monkey. Uh, or have contact with their eyes, nose, or mouth. So my apologies, I was wrong. It was not their butt. It was their eyes, nose, mouth, or scratching or biting. But who can blame you, Mike? After the show we've had today, who can blame you for thinking yeah. it would have been the ass? It seemed like it was a theme, but uh, also, you know. as everyone knows, it's very rare. But it can. You wanna you wanna get treatment immediately, or you could lead to severe yeah. brain damage or death. Don't be kissing any monkey's ass. Um, Man yeah, if you're gonna kiss him, kiss the ass, just not not the mouth. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and if you do kiss him in the mouth, kiss him on the ass real quick. Maybe it'll maybe it'll yes. like counter counteract it. A man hospitalized after giving himself a nose job, prompting YouTube to remove a uh, video of the rhinoplasty video. Um, first of all, uh, anybody who thinks they can do surgery on themselves, um, you know, you were talking about taxes earlier. You know, if you're gonna do something by yourself, try to do your taxes first. If you could do your taxes, that's a, that's somewhat of an education level that would make get you to the point of becoming a surgeon. Um, but uh, the guy screwed himself up. Like, you know, who's thinking like, okay, I'm I, this is what I do. They don't think the minute I carve into my nose that my pain's gonna cause. All, I mean, you know, uh, like these fix a flat. The women in Florida that go to these these behind a gas station and they get fix a flat put in their ass so they can have bigger asses. Um, mm. You know. But, I mean, uh, yeah, definitely for medical treatment, I recommend having someone else do it. Uh, I'm, I'm on the same page as you. Yeah, I, you know, there is, I'm, I'm reminded of this story from Buddhism that I like a lot that I doubt has any applicability here, but I'm going to share it because uh, it might have applicability elsewhere. But uh, <clears throat> there was a story of a monk who removed his own tooth. He had a sore he had, you know, a tooth that needed to come out and he used pliers and took it out. And somebody else asked him, they said, didn't that hurt a lot? 
And he said, well, it didn't hurt when I thought about doing it. And it didn't hurt when I walked to the shed. And it didn't hurt when I picked up the wrench. And it didn't hurt when I grasped the tooth with the wrench. When I pulled it out, it did hurt right then. But then afterwards, it didn't hurt that much either. So that's sort of like a lesson in mindfulness. But please don't apply that to a do-it-yourself rhinoplasty. Yes. You know, don't like take your time to do it. Don't walk to the shed. You know, you know, if you just add more elements to it, you know, you'd be much better off with the total outcome. Yeah, uh, you're right. You know, um, everybody should have health insurance nowadays. Uh, you know, and if you want to listen, a nose job isn't like a life, like it, it's an elective surgery at best. It's an elective surgery and uh, elect to do it with somebody else. Like Mike says, first of all, somebody else, you know. Oh, yeah. You know, don't don't elect yourself. Yeah. yeah. Yes, preferably a doctor. But, you know, a paramed or something like that, or just somebody who's a notary. At least a friend. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know. Anyway, that's all we have time for in the Wake Up Late with Dougie show. I want to thank uh, Mike Kaplan for joining us today. We always love having him on the show, and he's a phenomenal comic. Mike, what's coming up? Where can people find you? Uh, thank you for asking. Uh, Mike Kaplan, spelled the weird way that I spell it, at M-Y-Q-K-A-P-L-A-N. If you put that in to all your social media, that's my website. I have a newsletter that I send out for free each week, or you can subscribe for more at mikekaplan.substack.com. My latest album is called AKA. All my albums are recently back on Spotify. They were gone for a while, and I'm thrilled yeah. that they're back. So you can listen anywhere that you get your streaming and or downloadable comedy content. And later this year, I'll have a uh, dry bar special coming out. So keep awesome. your eyes open for that, your ears open, really, both. It'll be you can look and listen. And uh, yeah, put Mike Kaplan where, where Mike Kaplan goes and you'll be able to find Mike Kaplan. Thanks for having me, as always. There you go. Our pleasure. Keep your ears open, but everything else shut. If you haven't learned anything yeah. today's show. Close, close the up nose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Thanks so much. for. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Mike. Awesome as usual. And uh, that's it for another episode of the Wake Up Late with Dougie show. Uh, I pretend on being back next week, uh, waiting to line a few guests, see what happens. But and then, until then, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at the Wake Up Late with Dougie Show and on Twitter at Wake Up Dougie. And, of course, our fan page on the Wake Up Late with Dougie Show on Facebook. That's where you watch us. And we do need you to go to our YouTube channel and subscribe to the Wake Up Late with Dougie Show. We got about, we got, we doubled up. We actually got a nice, uh, nice increase after a long time. So we're really going to start pushing the show to the YouTube channel and uh, making some other changes coming up in the new year. Be excited to have you all join us. Uh, aside from that, God bless everybody. Stay well. Be good to other people. Like Mike said, you know, worry about yourself, take care of yourself and help others when needed. Uh, God bless. See you here next time at the same spot.